8th October 1792. Sir, without doubt you have learned of our misfortunes. You know that your disciple, your friend, has not ceased to act in a manner worthy of you and of liberty. You know that his unalterable attachment to the Constitution which he swore to maintain drew upon him the hatred of a powerful faction which wished to destroy it, that prescribed by this faction, and accused at the head of his army, he, wishing to avoid adding a new crime to his citizens, withdrew his head from the sanguinary, sanguinary fury which pursued the courageous friends of liberty, and was already on his way to gain a neutral country, from whence he intended to go among you and offer up his wishes that his ungrateful country might find defenders who would serve it with as much zeal and disinterestedness and love of liberty as him. His wish was that I should go with all our family to join him in England, that we might go and establish ourselves in America, and there enjoy the consoling sight of virtue worthy of liberty. But before he arrived to this desirable point, and even before he reached a neutral country, it was necessary for him to cross a small corner of the enemy's territory. There he was met and taken prisoner on the 23rd August. He is yet in their hands. He was at first carried to Namur, then to Nassau, then from thence to Luxembourg. From thence I learned by the, proper, by the public papers that on the 6th of September... They carried him to Wexel, a city of Westphalia, under the dominion of the king of Prussia, and there, that there they separated him from three members of the constituent assembly, who had been partakers of his lot, and carried him alone to the citadel of Spandau between Berlin and Potsdam. The motives, the design of such strange and cruel conduct on the part of his enemies, are too deep for me to penetrate. They have not permitted him to write a line. He was taken by the troops of the emperor, after, though it is king of Prussia, who retains him a prisoner in his dominions. And while he suffers this inconceivable persecution, prosecution from the enemies without, the factions which reign within keep me a hostage at 120 leagues from the capital. Judge then at what distance I am from him. In this abyss of grief, the idea of arriving to the U.S. and to... Uh, and Monsieur Washington, the life and liberty of Monsieur Lafayette reanimates my heart with some hope. I hope everything from the goodness of all of a people with whom he has set an example of that liberty of which he is now the victim. And shall I dare speak what I hope? I would ask of them through you an envoy who should shall go to retain him in the name of the Republic of the U.S., wheresoever he may be retained and who he may make, in their name, with whatsoever powers he may be, the necessary engagements to emancipate him from his captivity, and carry him to their bosoms. If his wife and his children could be comprised in the, this happy mission, it is easy to judge how sweet it would be to her and to them. But if this would retard or embarrass, in any degree, the progress of his success, we will defer the happiness of reunion yet longer." And when we shall be near you, we will bear the grief of separation with more courage. May heaven deign to bless the confidence with which it has inspired me. I hope my request is not rash. Accept the homage of the sentiments which have dictated this letter to me, as well as that of attachment and tender respect with which I am. Marie Adrienne de Noodles Postscript 
Many rebellious teens have run away from home, but very few have done so against the direct orders of a monarch. Gilbert du Mortier, Marquis de Lafayette, did just that. When he left home in 1777, sailing for America in search of glory, he violated an edict by King Louis XVI forbidding him by name from getting involved in the ongoing war. The stated purpose of the king's order was to avoid a diplomatic incident with England, but the true purpose of that order, orchestrated by Lafayette's wealthy and powerful father-in-law, was to prevent the Marquis from running out on his young wife and dying an anonymous and embarrassing death. Lafayette was actually fond of his wife, Adrian, but he despised court life at Versailles. Dancing with Marie Antoinette and drinking with her courtiers have no appear. Lafayette was the son of a French officer who died fighting the English and longed for battlefield glory of his own. He tried to satiate this longing to fight closer to home by arranging for a commission in France's military, but a moment to pro movement to professionalize the nation's officer class drew his career in the French military to a swift close. Thus, in 1777, Lafayette secretly persuaded Silas Dean, the Continental Congress's envoy in France, to give him a commission, an officer's commission in the Continental Army, and purchased a ship to take him to North America. When Lafayette arrived in Philadelphia, he had trouble convincing Dean's colleagues to honor his commission. Some suspected he wasn't a real nobleman. Other Frenchmen had come before him, claiming noble birth, only to be outed as fortune-seeking commoners. Even once his background was confirmed, his interrogators accused him of being just another adventure seeker who would flee at the first sign of real trouble. They also questioned Dean's authority to offer the commission. Yet Lafayette refused to sail home without glory. He risked too much. Eventually, he persuaded the authorities to give him a chance, and they approved his commission, also granting his wish to serve on General George Washington's staff. At first, General Washington shared his colleague's skepticism about the young Frenchman. He was respectful and welcoming to Lafayette, mindful of his influence and fortune, but reiterated that his commission was merely honorary whenever Lafayette pleaded to lead troops. Washington's view of Lafayette changed at the Battle of Brandywine Creek in September of 1777. Undeterred by a gushing leg wound from a musket ball, Lafayette helped to stave off disaster once the battle was lost by organizing a successful retreat. As soon as Lafayette recovered, Washington began to give the young noble more responsibility. By the time France formally allied with the United States in 1778, Lafayette was one of Washington's most trusted allies, and he helped lead military cooperation between the, new na the two nations. Lafayette's American gamble made him a hero when he returned home to France. The king quickly forgave Lafayette's disobedience, meeting out only minor punishment for his indiscretions. The queen personally escorted Adrian home when word reached the pair at a party that Lafayette had finally returned to Versailles. After the war, Lafayette assumed a prominent role in French society, continuing to serve as an unofficial emissary between the United States and France and joining abolitionist societies in three countries. Then, in 1789, revolution came to France and Lafayette's fortunes began to change. He was supportive of the revolution, helping to craft a Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizen for the New Republic, serving as Vice President of the National Assembly and helming the French National Guard. In spite of his wealth and no of this, his wealth and noble upbringing made him a target for the radicals who'd seized power. After King Louis XVI, who he was in charge of jailing, nearly escaped France, accusations flew that Lafayette was still loyal to the king, and some began to agitate for his arrest and execution. Seeing that his life was in danger, Lafayette fled France. 
while transitioning through the Austrian Netherlands, now Belgium. He was arrested by Austrian authorities for his role in the French Revolution. Meanwhile, in France, Adrian was placed under house arrest. As the daughter of one of France's wealthiest nobles, he, she had always been a target. Her husband's flight only amplified calls for her to lose her head. Adrian wrote letters begging her husband's American friends to secure his release and protect her family from the ongoing reign of terror. Although they were sympathetic to her plight, they were initially reluctant to take official action and risk American neutrality to rescue a single individual. They did take some unofficial steps. Angelica Skyla Church, the sister-in-law of Lafayette's great friend Alexander Hamilton, organized an escape attempt for the Marquis that nearly earned him his freedom. Yet, as Adrian watched her mother, sister, and grandmother face the guillotine, her hope of avoiding death began to fade. In this week's letter, from Adrian to President George Washington, she congratulates the President on his re-election, but chastises him for dishonoring the friendship of her husband by abandoning him. Adrian was unaware, but Washington had not forgotten about his old friend. As she wrote this letter, Washington drafted a letter of his own to her, offering his sympathy. Behind the scenes, he brainstormed ways to free his old friend with Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson. On March 15th, Jefferson wrote American diplomats in Europe to request that they avail themselves of every opportunity of sounding the way towards Lafayette's liberation. Finally, in January 1795, salvation came. Elizabeth Monroe, wife of U.S. Minister to France James Monroe, took her husband's official carriage to the jail where Adrian was being held and demanded a visit. This pseudo-official act was the pressure needed to persuade Adrian's jailers to set her free. Elizabeth Monroe was also arranged for Adrian's son, George Washington de Lafayette, to be spirited away to the United States, where he would live as the guest of his godfather and namesake, President George Washington. Ever loyal, as soon as Adrian won her freedom, she met with Emperor Francis I of Austria, convinced him to allow her and her daughters to live with her husband in captivity. Conditions in the prison were dismal, with the smell of raw sewage permeating the air, but finally they were reunited. As the reign of terror came to a close, Napoleon Bonaparte arranged for Lafayette's release in 1797. At the convincing of Adrian, Napoleon finally allowed Lafayette to re-enter France in 1800. After the end of the reign of terror, Lafayette and Adrian laid plans to visit their friends in the United States, but Adrian passed away before she could make the trip. Lafayette returned to the United States in 1824, receiving a hero's welcome as he toured through the country he helped to build. One of his first stops was the White House, where he was welcomed personally by the President, James Monroe.